Welcome to Giving Youth a Voice podcast, where we share information to youth by youth. Stick around to see what information the youth in our community choose to share this month. SAD group here at Carl Sandberg Middle School. SAD stands for Students Against Destructive Decisions. We are here today to do a podcast answering questions and help our student body engage with our local police department. We will be having our school resource officer answer some questions. The purpose of SAD is to raise awareness for difficult decisions that our peers could face growing up. We do this by hosting spirit days to raise money for serious causes. We have also sold candy canes to other students to promote school morale. The questions in this podcast were written on pieces of paper by students from our school. We wanted to see what they were interested in and what they wanted to know so they could be more aware of our local laws and what the town's police department deals with every day. Hope you enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Gracie Barger, Jillian Hubbard, Molly Stout, Charlotte McCarthy, Kirsten Hawhey, Haley Wandling, Charlotte McCarthy, Annabelle Capaldi, Maddie Jacoby, Kendall Lopez, Dylan Gagliardi, and Tegan Groger. And now to introduce our guest officer, Melissa Robinson, of our Middletown Township Police Department. She's a school resource officer for Neshaminy Middle School and Elementary Schools. Officer Robinson is here to answer the questions that have been submitted by the student body of Carl Sandburg Middle School. Officer Robinson, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Hi, like she said, my name is Officer Robson. Most of the kids call me Officer Missy. I have been working at Middletown Township Police Department for seven years. I was a police officer in Warminster Township for five years prior to coming to Middletown. Um, I am a mom of three. I have a husband. I have enormous dog and live locally to the township. I am also a 20-year veteran of the Pennsylvania Army National Guard. Some of my job duties here in Middletown Township are the school resource officer. I'm the community relations officer. I'm a negotiator on the SWAT team. I install car seats. I do a car fit program for the elderly. I'm involved with the accreditation program for the police department. I'm on bike patrol during the summer. I'm responsible for all of the community events and fundraising. I host yearly coffee with the cops and our shop with a cop event and many others throughout the year. One of the questions I get most often is, what made me want to become a cop? And the answer is not your normal. Uh, I actually did not want to be a cop initially. I wanted to be a teacher, I wanted to be a nurse, I wanted to be a speech pathologist, I wanted to be all kinds of things, but a police officer was never one of them. Uh, Once I reached the end of my high school career, I knew that I wanted to go to college and I knew that I absolutely could not afford it. So I joined the military because they are the ones that paid for my college education. And in doing so, I became aware of the criminal justice profession and became incredibly interested in it. And it wasn't until after a deployment to Iraq that I figured out that this was really something that I wanted to do. I went and got my associate's degree in criminal justice and fell in love with the profession. And that is kind of what drew me to this line of work. It is absolutely not a job. It is a career. And I'm really happy to have found uh, myself here. I can't picture doing anything else at all. I really appreciate you guys here at Carl Sandberg having an interest in what I do and some of the legal questions. I'm excited to hear what you guys have come up with. 
That is interesting because I had no idea that military would pay for your college. You found a way out of a difficult situation and ended up finding something you loved, which you turned into a career. What is the craziest thing you've done as a cop? <laughs> I would say that bringing somebody back to life with CPR is probably one of the most crazy things that I've ever done to Miss Farrow's great delight. Seeing somebody uh, who is near death and then being able to perform that life-saving measure is something that you never, ever forget. Um, I would say that everybody that I've ever performed CPR on, I remember them and I remember the incident. Um, one in particular that I had here in Middletown Township was with a guy who ran a taco shop in the Oxford Valley Mall. We got a call saying that the man at the taco shop had bumped his head and needed an ambulance, and I just happened to be in the parking lot. So I walked in casually thinking that somebody just needed to be stitched up. Um, and when I walked in, I found a man laying on the ground, stiff, turning gray, and jumped the counter and immediately started CPR. Um, I radioed for assistance and got the ambulance moving a whole lot faster, got the next officer in with the AED, and between the CPR and the AED, we were able to bring this man back to life. Um, he went to a rehab facility for several months to recover from the incident, and he is happily retired in Dubai. That's so interesting. How do you become a cop? There's a lot of ways to become a cop, but around here there are departments all over the place that will participate in something called a consortium. A consortium is available for testing purposes where a lot of departments will come together to test at one single time. So multiple departments can participate in this. So once you take that test, you are actually testing for 10, 20, 30 departments all at once. Most police departments around here want to see that you have some kind of college experience. It doesn't necessarily need to be in criminal justice, but it does show a significant interest in the field that this is something that you have invested time, money, and energy into. Uh, you also need to go to the police academy, which is a state-run, and there's numerous throughout the state of Pennsylvania. I went to the Montgomery County Police Academy, and that is about six months of training. It's full of information, tests, physical fitness, learning how to shoot a gun, and all kinds of tactical type of training, defensive tactics, and you need to graduate the police academy. If you fail any test at the academy, which failure is uh, 75 or below, if you fail two tests ever, you are automatically kicked out of the police academy, so they hold you to a very high standard. These are things and bits of information that you really need to know and make sure that you have mastered before you leave there. After you've done that, you have to go through an application process with a township. This can take months. It can be as short as, I guess, a month or two to six months. It took me six months to get the first job, and the second time it was two months. And these are applications that are anywhere from about 40 to 80 pages long. You have to do a full background investigation. They are looking into every aspect of your life. They are talking to old neighbors, old friends, old boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and wives and landlords to make sure that you are of the quality that they desire for their township. 
You need to do a psychiatric evaluation. You have to do a medical evaluation. Some departments use lie detector tests. I've done several of those. There's oral interviews, physical fitness tests, writing tests, reading tests, and a lot more. So you need to be absolutely dedicated to wanting this job because it is a process for sure. What happens if someone hits me and I block the hit and hit them back? Is that considered self-defense? So this question comes up a lot, especially at schools. Um, People want to know that if they engage in some kind of fight, whether they can claim self-defense or not. Title 18 of the PA Consolidated Statute, Section 505, addresses the use of force in self-protection. This is where you find the difference that's between uh, self-defense and mutual combat. That's the one thing that we normally have to determine the difference between to see who we are going to cite or not going to cite. So Section 505 reads, I'll tell you what it reads and then I'll kind of break it down for you. The use of force upon or toward another person is justifiable when the actor believes that such force is immediately necessary for the purpose of protecting himself against the use of unlawful force by such other person on the present occasion. So this is saying in the here and now, not because they made you mad or they did something to you two weeks ago, in this occasion right now that you are currently in, you had to exert force on somebody else who was unlawfully exerting force against you um, in order to protect yourself. There is a pretty significant line where it starts at self-defense and it can quickly spiral into mutual combat when you just continue to engage and continue that fight and you're really taking them down. Um, So if you then become the aggressor, things can certainly change as the incident unfurls. So a lot of it's going to come down to an investigation because as you probably know, especially in the school, these fights are premeditated, they're planned, the location is named, the time is named, and the crowd is gathered around by the time this fight occurs. That's typically how it happens here, Maple Point in the high school. Everybody wants a crowd. Um, So we know that you have already agreed to engage into this fight. That would not be self-defense. Once you say, yeah, I'll meet you there to have this fight, this, this throwdown, you are automatically engaging in mutual combat pretty much. Um, There are always mitigating circumstances, things that would kind of change it. But typically, if you block a hit, somebody hits you and then you're hitting them back. Yes, that would fit this section saying that that force was coming onto you unlawfully and you are merely protecting yourself. Now, let's say that you have a fifth degree black belt. You think you can whoop them, you know, until they absolutely are crushed? No, absolutely. You can't do that either because now you're seen as somebody who has the knowledge and know-how to fight somebody. So it would be more appropriate for you to subdue them until you can get somebody else to come over and help. Hope that answered your question. I want to point out that you talk about mutual combat and its legal definitions. In school, though, when something like that happens, you hear about kids being suspended and affecting their sports. You don't necessarily think of how that would affect your future. How fast is a speed chase? It is as fast as the driver in front of you is driving. So you can get in chases going five miles an hour and you can get in a chase going 100 miles an hour. A pursuit can is not uh, determined by a certain speed. My very first police pursuit, we were going between about five and eight miles per hour. 
Um, there was an elderly lady with dementia who was driving around at 3 a.m. and thought it was 3 p.m. And I was trying to stop her. And I would run out of my car, run up to her window and say, hey, pull over. And she would just wave, hi, sweetie. Um, and then she would drive off. And then I'd get back in my car and keep following her. So that was probably the slowest police chase I've ever been involved in. But obviously, they can go much faster. But there's so many things that you have to consider when you get into pursuit. I don't think any chief is a fan of their officers getting into pursuits because they are extremely dangerous. They put a lot of people at risk. So you really have to think about the reason that you're chasing this person and is it worth it? Are there other ways for you to identify who that person is and we can issue a warrant later? Is it absolutely necessary that we chase them now? How do you keep everybody safe, like bystanders? Like, do you like announce it or something like on a microphone? So we use our sirens. And when there are multiple cars in a procession that are doing the pursuit, we will continually call out our speed, our location, nonstop. That's part of what you need to do while you're in a pursuit. Uh, some tactic that they've told us before that we should be using is that if I'm using a siren that is a high-low noise, then the next car should be using a different siren sound. That way it doesn't sound like one continuous sound so that you hear my siren as I'm coming upon you, but now you're going to hear another noise. So you're going to know immediately that there's another car or two behind. So some of the cars that are trailing as well, they can block off traffic spaces for you, like traffic roads and intersections. And we are on the radio, so our dispatcher is letting the next township know, hey, you know, Middletown is coming into Falls with a pursuit. This is the direction they're going. This is the rate that they're traveling. So the dispatcher does a lot of that legwork for us to let people know, hey, we're, we're about to make entry into your town. But the supervisor can call it off at any time. So if they find it to be too dangerous, they can tell you to call it and you got to pull over. That's really neat. That's the first time I've heard of this. What is the fastest speed chase you've ever done? I think some, maybe my top speed would be about 100, 110. And it really wasn't a pursuit. Um, it was a child that was choking to death. Um, anytime that there's like a call like that where a kid is in grave danger, I think that that's when you will find police officers driving the absolute fastest. So pursuits, I mean, I, I've been in pursuits, you know, 80, 90 miles an hour, but on an open road in the middle of the night, that's really not that difficult to manage. You just need to know where you're going, the turns in the road, any construction that might nearby. So you have to take a million different things into consideration while you're driving. You have to maintain your radio contact. You have to be watching your MDT. You have to be watching the person in front of you, what evasive maneuvers they're taking and what you're doing to try and stop them. So tons of stuff to consider all at one time. We would like to thank Officer Robinson for answering questions with us today. Stay tuned next week as we finish answering questions with Officer Missy. That's it for this month's episode of Giving Youth a Voice. Any questions for this podcast can be emailed to podcast at nc4youth.org. Make sure to follow us on your favorite podcasting app and be sure to sign up to our email list on nc4youth.org so you don't miss out on our next episode. This project is made possible by funding through Bucks County Drug and Alcohol Commission Incorporated. I'm Grayson, wishing you a happy and healthy month. See you next episode.